you got a copy of God's word, let's grab it. Ephesians chapter four is where we're gonna be. And uh, today I wanna speak to you about something that uh, you often don't hear about in church, much much less in a seminary setting. I I wanna talk to you about forgiveness today. And uh, specifically, I wanna speak to you about forgiveness in life and in ministry. Uh, I know sometimes uh, you come to chapel and you get the sense that ministry is about to be horrible and it's so hard and you hear speakers come and give you the doomsday approach. I I don't wanna do that at all. In fact, I'd tell you the local church is where it's at and ministry is absolutely awesome. I'm having the time of my life leading and loving God's people. And so I just tell you, man, you've got a great future ahead of you. Um, on the back end of that statement, I would tell you uh, some, some bad news. And here's what the bad news is. For the rest of your life in ministry, you are going to have to forgive people. It's just the reality. Uh, this is going to hit you in your own family with your spouse. Uh, it will hit you uh, with your own children at times. It will no doubt hit you in a local church setting. There will be people in your church who will talk behind your back. And there's those lovely people that say it straight to your face after a, a sermon. Uh, you, you will invest your life in people and they will leave your church over silly reasons. And you will have to forgive again and again and again. That's just life. And uh, the reality is sometimes people in ministry, those of us in this room are not the best at forgiving. In fact, if you've ever uh, seen maybe an older pastor who he just comes off as kind of a curmudgeon, he's just crusty, and you think, golly, what happened to him? It could be the local church ministry happened to him, and yet he never learned to forgive. And I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more gracious I want to get. The older I get in ministry, the longer I'm in ministry, the more gentle I desire to be. And I'll just be straight up honest with you this morning, that will not happen without you learning to forgive. I'll begin, uh, I'll begin this message with a little bit of a confession, and it's not a confession that I would like to make, but, uh, but as I look at my life uh, from a few years ago, I hate to admit it, but I had a major unforgiveness problem in my life, and it was such, a, a, it was such an issue that other people began to notice what was going on in my life. In fact, I was in uh, what we call our leadership team, kind of our upper uh, leadership of pastors at our church. We were in a meeting one Monday morning, and I was evidently speaking out of the overflow, not of the Holy Spirit in my life, not out of love in my life, but I was speaking out of an overflow of bitterness. And after the meeting, one of our pastors came up and he said to me, Nick, you ought to really read a book. And he recommended a book to me called Total Forgiveness by a guy named R.T. Kendall. Some of you have heard the name R.T. Kendall before. R.T. pastored Westminster Chapel in London, uh, right down the street from Buckingham Palace. Uh, If you're wondering a little bit further, like, man, I I know that name. Why do I know that name? He followed Martin Lloyd-Jones at Westminster Chapel. So how'd you like that assignment uh, from the Lord right there? R.T.'s an American. He's from Kentucky, got his MDiv actually from Southern, and then moved to England and got his PhD from Oxford and ended up pastoring that church for 25 years. He's now 87 years old. He lives in Nashville. He's actually a member of a Southern Baptist church. I've gotten to know R.T. just a little bit and just a gracious man. As I read the book, uh, God began to open my eyes to my sin. Have you ever read a book like that? Obviously, the scriptures penetrate and cut our souls like nothing else. But I don't know if there's been another book in your life that you've read and thought, golly, man, I've, I've never been the same since I read that. 
And RT began to, uh, to dissect different passages of the Bible. And Ephesians chapter 4 was one of those passages. And I have never looked at this passage the same again since then. So I want us to, to read all the way down. I want us to begin in verse 30. And here's what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Uh, to give you some context, to remind you, the beginning of chapter four challenges us to live lives worthy of the calling that God has placed upon our lives, which is really referencing the call to salvation. And he further explains what this looks like in the second half of the chapter. He gives instructions about not living like the Gentiles do, uh, put off your old self, put on the new self. Remember this passage? And he says essentially this, he says, don't lie, don't steal, don't speak corrupting words. And then he gives this powerful phrase here in verse 30. He says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. This is something, if you've been in church at any point in your life, you've no doubt heard this phrase before. But as a seminary student, if I were to switch places with you today, and I were to say, hey, why don't you come up and, and teach the congregation today what does it mean to grieve the Holy Spirit of God? My hunch is that many of us would actually struggle to define what it actually means to grieve the Spirit of God. John Calvin's helpful here. He writes this. He says, The Holy Spirit rejoices and is glad on our account when we are obedient to him in all things and neither think nor speak anything but what is pure and holy. And on the other hand, he is grieved when we admit anything into our minds that is unworthy of our calling. What a powerful statement. Said simply, the Holy Spirit is grieved. He is moved to sadness by our sin. And I want to say a very elementary principle to you that this is something you learned in Sunday school as a five-year-old, and it is something you need to be reminded again at 25, 35, 65, 75, no matter how long you be uh, are a follower of Christ. But there is a cost to sin. It's always a cost to sin. Spurgeon actually described it like this when he talks about grieving the Spirit of God. He says, when, when you grieve the Spirit of God, this is what happens in your life. He says, you will lose all sense of the Spirit's presence. You will lose all Christian joy. You will lose all power and your usefulness will cease. Now that should scare the living daylights out of every single one of us who serve God for a living when we grieve the Holy Spirit of God, it has direct consequences on you being used of God. You may be a faculty member. and People may begin to notice in class that something's different. You may be a seminary student who's a youth pastor right now and your students begin to notice something different. Could it be that you are grieving the Holy Spirit of God with your life? Let me remind you a simple thing. Ministry is hard enough with the power of God and with the hand of God on your life. Can you imagine what ministry is like without the hand of God, without the touch of God, without the power of God on your life? Paul continues in verse 31. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Now, every one of those things deals with relational sins. Bitterness, wrath against other people, anger towards others, clamor, slandering other people, and malice. And here's the hard thing. These are often in response to the wrong things that other people have done. Isn't that true? 
It's a response to other people's sin against you. And so we feel justified in our anger. Well, she did wrong. He did wrong. And so I have a right to be angry. I have a right to be bitter. And uh, I want to just dive in deep on just one of these sins. Time would not allow us to do all of these and do them with justice. But can I just speak to the first one that follows this command to not grieve the Spirit of God? I just want to speak to you about bitterness for the rest of our time together this morning. Bitterness grieves the Spirit of God. I once heard bitterness described as a smoldering anger. There is something unique about bitterness in the heart that it has the ability, a little seed of bitterness to take root in your heart. And before you know it, it takes over the entirety of your heart and your spirit. It begins to take over even who you are as a person. And I just got to tell you, in local church ministry, I promise you, I have seen this very thing I'm about to say. Sometimes it literally has a physical cost on people. Or you just see it. A life of bitterness that has taken over everything. I, uh, I went to a Christian school growing up. I went to a Christian university. I went to seminary. And uh, out of all the chapels that I sat in, and I sat in a lot of chapels, okay? Trust you me. There's not really much that I remember from those chapels. But I remember one thing as a student at Liberty University. It was a Wednesday night, and uh, one of the pastors on staff at the school said a statement that I have never forgotten related to bitterness. And you've heard different variations of what I'm about to say. He said, bitterness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. It's like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. We had a, a, a pastor, a local pastor from our area, come and speak to our staff yesterday. And he actually spoke on this subject and actually actually referenced the same passage I was speaking about today. And he referenced a relationship he had with Gary Smalley. Remember the name Gary Smalley? Prolific author on family issues and all that. And he said that one day Gary Smalley looked at him and said, uh, he said essentially that statement just in a different format. And he said, you know, some people just, just kind of sip it. Every single day, they just sip the cup of bitterness. And he looked at this pastor and he said, and you are drinking it by the gallon. I wonder how many today are just sipping a drink of bitterness every day. And how many of you in this room could say, Nick, I think I'm drinking it by the gallon. You see, there's something about bitterness where we feel like as long as we hold on to the hurt, we feel like we're really sticking it to the other person. You ever felt that? I mean, let's not act like we're in chapel today, Okay. Let's just be normal people. When you feel bitter towards somebody, you're like, as long as I can hold this against them, they are suffering. The Bible says it's exactly the opposite. They don't feel a thing. And you are the one who's being killed. One of the main ways that bitterness plays itself out is a desire for revenge. Have you ever desired to get even with somebody after they've hurt you? Maybe it's somebody in your family. Maybe, maybe it's somebody here in this room. You sat on the opposite side of the aisle today because you didn't want to be near them? Is it somebody in your church? I, I may disappoint you and I may not get, back, uh, get asked back to uh, Midwestern Chapel because of this, but I gotta be honest, even as a pastor, sometimes I desire to get revenge. Anybody else with the preacher today? Okay, a bunch of liars out there, okay? That's what it is. You see, it comes very natural to... Uh, 
to try to get revenge. I don't want total forgiveness. I want total and complete revenge. R.T. writes in the book, he says, total forgiveness is refusing to punish the other person. It's a powerful statement. It's refusing to punish. This is the heartbeat of Paul, by the way. In Romans chapter 12, he says, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends upon you. What a key phrase there. Live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Think about the power of that verse. Never avenge yourself. There are certain passages of the Bible that are harder to swallow than others. Wouldn't you agree with that? I would suggest to you that Romans chapter 12 is one of the hardest. Never get even. Never avenge yourself. You may think to yourself, well, Nick, if I, if, I don't, if I don't look out for me, who's gonna look out for me? God will look out for you. That's the message of Romans 12. You see, Romans 12 teaches us a simple principle. God sees and God is the one who settles. We often wonder, well, does God see anything that's going on? Does God see what she did behind my back? Does God see what he has said about me? And I need to settle the score. May the word of God remind you today that he is the God who sees. He's the God who sees you in this room if you are walking through something and you don't know the way forward. Maybe it's something with a child. Maybe it's something with a class. Maybe it's something with your church. He's the God who sees. And in the context of Romans 12, we could also say it this way. If you're walking through deep pain, if you are walking through a sense of betrayal, if you're walking through a season where you've never felt so stabbed in the back as you do right now, God is the one who settles. This is a, a hands-off approach. Okay, Lord, this, this is on you. I'm giving it to you. You've got to handle it. But this is hard because we like to have the ball in our own court. We want everybody to know what they did. We want everybody to, to know who they really are. Have you ever thought these things? People need to know what they did to me. They need to know who that person really is. They get up here at chapel or they get up there at, a, you know, at their own church or they talk all spiritual in a class, but I know who they really are. God says, don't get revenge. Give your bitterness to me. Here's a great prayer to pray. We all want answered prayers, isn't that right? And uh, we long for God to do some things in our own life. We long for God to do some things in our church. And so we, uh, we cry out to God and we wait. Can I tell you a, a prayer that I'm pretty sure God will answer? In fact, I would almost guarantee that God will answer this request in your life. Here's a great prayer to pray based on Ephesians chapter four. Lord, do I have any lingering bitterness in my life? Do I have any lingering bitterness in my life? You may say, I'm not sure I won't pray that one. 
So in all reality, we probably will not like the answer to our prayer. Well, what's the solution to trying to not grieve the Spirit of God and, and trying to not live in the midst of bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and malice and slander and all the things that Paul mentions? He gives us the answer in verse 32. Here's what he says. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Think about, again, think about the full passage here. Don't do all of these things. Don't be bitter. Don't be angry. Don't slander other people. But instead, do these three things. And I want you to think about these three things. These three statements in verse 32. I want you to think, of them, uh, think about them in, in, in really two contexts. In the context of your family and in the context of your church family. Okay, remember, Ephesians was written to a local church setting here. So how does this play out in my own life and my own family? And how am I supposed to play that out as a leader in my church? Number one, he says, be kind to one another. The word implies here what is fitting to a need. In other words, I am treating people with kindness. I'm a person who steps in and I try to be what they need in the moment. If they need encouragement in the moment, I try to encourage. If they need more of a discipline approach in the moment or a, a stronger word, I try to give the stronger word. If they need somebody to sit with them in the midst of grief and not say anything, I am, I am being kind-hearted when I am fitting what is the need. I'm not concerned about myself, but about them. So can I just pause and ask you this? Are you a kind person? You say, well, yeah, I, I think I'm a nice person. I, that's not, I don't think that's what the Bible's asking. Not nice Kind. Am I, a, am I a man or a woman who steps in and fits what is according to the need for that person in the moment? The Bible says the second thing here. It says you need to be tenderhearted. Tenderhearted. Some translations in your Bible may translate this word this way. It uses the word compassionate. So be kind to one another. Be tenderhearted or compassionate. Um, this is one of the hardest pa uh, points of this passage right here. To be tenderhearted for the sake of someone else means that you try to understand what it is they have gone through in their life and what it is they are going through in their life. In other words, um, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. By the way, that is foreign in our culture today. But God's people do it different. And Ephesians calls us to to give brothers and sisters in Christ the benefit of the doubt. As, uh, as Proverbs says, there will be times in your life where what it looks like to be tenderhearted or compassionate is to overlook an offense. Overlook an offense. I tell my church from time to time, I think the most, um, the people who should be the least offended should be Bible-believing Christians. In other words, we have a thick skin, soft heart, but uh, we don't get offended too easily. Don't take ourselves too seriously. We step in like Ephesians calls us to with a tender-hearted understanding of, you know what? They've been through a lot in life. They've got some things that they would have never chosen to experience. And so I just need to step back and just say, you know what? I'm just going to just overlook it for now. It's one of the hardest things you'll ever do in your Christian life, by the way, to 
overlook an offense in a spirit of tenderheartedness. He gives us a third thing, and this is really the key phrase in the entire three verses that are reading today. He says, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. If, uh, if maybe we were in a smaller setting, more of a small group or Sunday school setting, uh, I, I would maybe throw this question out to the room today and I would say, well, hey, how would you describe God's forgiveness of our sin? And people across the room, men and women would, would yell out things that would describe it. So I'll, I'll just say what perhaps you would say. When we think about the forgiveness of God, we think about words like it's complete. We've been completely forgiven. It's a sacrificial death on our behalf. It is without restraint. God doesn't hold back. It's an immediate forgiveness. When have you ever come to the Lord in repentance and he said, ah, you're a couple days away from forgiveness. 3.6 good quiet times before I'll start looking at you again. God, God never does that, does he? But it's an immediate forgiveness and he just lovingly and compassionately forgives us. That's the Bible's word for us about how we are to forgive other people, completely forgive. In other words, I don't forgive 80% and they need to work for the other 20%. It's just complete. It is sacrificial. It is costing me something to forgive you in the moment. It's without restraint. I don't want to hold back. Even though there may be new and healthy boundaries, some of you have to deal with that in your own family context probably. But I will without restraint forgive these people. And it's immediate. How many times have you gotten in an argument with your spouse and one of the other forgive uh, or ask for forgiveness of the other person? You still have another 36 hours of silence or pain, you know what I'm saying? Like you just kind of go back and forth. An immediate forgiveness and it's a loving forgiveness. So to disobey the word of God here, to just be clear, to disobey what God has said in Ephesians chapter four, to, to go against what he has said and to live full out embracing and, and holding on to forgiveness. I just wanna just be real honest with you. This is leading you towards a life of imprisonment. Bitterness in every respect in your life brings baggage. It brings bondage to you in ways that you don't even understand or even see in your own life. Hear me loud and clear. The forgiveness life is the free life. But when you can walk into any room on this campus with no grudges, that's a free life. When you can walk into your church on a Sunday morning with no bitterness, that's the free life. When you can walk into a Thanksgiving dinner with your family without forgiveness or resentment for things that have happened to you, it is the free life. I just finished reading a book on, uh, on the Scottish reformer, John Knox. Uh, it's a fascinating read. And uh, many of you have heard of John Knox. He's one of the more well-known of the Reformation. But I was introduced to a guy that I had never heard of, a guy named George Wishart. I've also heard his name pronounced Wizard. Uh, he was really a mentor to John Knox, and John Knox began their journey really as a bodyguard of George. And uh, in 1546, George was sentenced to be burned at the stake for preaching the gospel in Scotland. 
And uh, Knox wanted to go and be burned with them. And he essentially told him, listen, you, you got to carry on the work. So George Wisher was burned at the stake and certain accounts of this in church history tell us that the executioner was begging George Wishart for his forgiveness of what he was about to do. I don't know if you've ever heard this story, but George leaned over and kissed the executioner and said, here is a token that I forgive thee. Go and do thine office. Forgiveness leads you to a free life. And can I say it this way in relation to that? And it leads you to freedom even in death. The very guy who is about to kill him turns and kisses him on the cheek and says, listen, man, I forgive you. What a powerful, powerful word. I want to get very uh, personal and very practical. I want to speak directly to your life and get extremely practical as I wrap up today because here's the thing about forgiveness. I think every person here, if I were to say, hey, is forgiveness a good thing, yes or no? You would all reply, well, yes, it's a good thing. And if I were to tell you, uh, or if I were to ask you, hey, is this an important word for your church to hear? You'd say, well, no doubt about it. Forgiveness is something that every Christian should make a part of their life. But if I were to, again, ask you to come to the pulpit today, I want to say, hey, describe how you actually forgive another person. You may stutter, you, you may stumble and fumble a little bit. And so, although we know it in our heads that this is something we should do, I think practically and tangibly, we sometimes forget how we are to forgive other people. So I want to give you just three tips based on what we've learned from this passage, okay? Number one, how do you forgive? You do it immediately. You do it immediately. This is where some of you are today. And already as I have been preaching the word of God, the Holy Spirit has brought a face to your mind. It's a face that you are punching right now in your mind, okay? And you are thinking to yourself, I don't know, Nick. You have no idea what they've done to me. And you're right, I have no idea. And we would grieve together if we knew the sins that were done against every person in this room. But do it immediately. As I was reading R.T.'s book, uh, this was close to two years ago, 18 months ago now, I remember I finished it and I was, uh, I was reading it on my couch and I stopped and I had an, a moment of immediate forgiveness. I got a piece of paper and a pen and I wrote down about 10 or 11 names that just came to mind of people that I needed to forgive. And I can remember writing down their names and, and just sitting there and just saying, I forgive him. I forgive her. You see, for me, I, just, I needed something tangible in the moment that was an outplaying of what the word of God had taught me. And so I just sat there. Like I said, just, I forgive him. And I would say his name. I, I forgive her. And I would say her name. It, it was almost like a moment where I was just saying, that's in the past and I am moving on. Here's what I quickly realized. While um, immediate and complete once and for all forgiveness is possible for Jesus, it is not possible for Nick Floyd. And it is not possible for you. And so here's what I've learned over the last couple of years. Forgiveness is not only immediate, but it is over and over and over. Here's the second tip I'd give you. You got to do it continually. So not only immediately, like, and I think you should have an immediate moment of, Lord, I am choosing to forgive this person. But then you got to do it over and over and over. Months later, I can remember it was, it was the week before Easter, 
If you've ever been a pastor before Easter weekend, man, you, you are very sensitive to your own sin in your life and you wanna be a clean vessel before the Lord. You wanna be full of the Holy Spirit. And so it just leads you to just confession all week long, okay? And I can remember, um, I can remember, again, writing down a list. And I, and I hate, it's embarrassing for me to say it, the list had grown. There were 20 people. You say, Nick, you, you really had an unforgiveness problem. Just enjoy, okay? It's just for you today. And again, I, I just went back through and I just had to have another moment of immediate forgiveness continually. There were some new names and there were a lot of the old names that were still on there. And I've just found this in my own life. I have to come to immediate places of continual forgiveness. When I'm reminded when I get mad or hurt, I have to forgive yet again. Here's what you're going to realize. You'll find that certain moments remind you of the sin done against you. Certain places remind you of the sin done against you. Certain songs, maybe you got dumped by some girl. There was a song on the radio. You're just still mad about it 12 years later. It's time to forgive, okay? Not too long ago, I heard the story of an American pastor who went to South Korea on a mission trip and he ended up in, in what is, I believe, is one of the largest churches in the world in some South Korean church. And, and he's, he's humorously telling this, this story to his own congregation, which is where I was listening to it on a podcast. And he, he recounted what this South Korean pastor said about forgiveness. And here's what he said. He said, every day I wake up and forgive so many people because I hate so many people. It's pretty funny and pretty accurate of what every one of us has to deal with in our heart of hearts. You know who you're going to have to forgive more than anybody else in your life? It's your family members. This woman right down here on the front row, I've had to forgive her more than any other person in my life. And if we reverse the situation, she's had to way more forgive me than any person she's ever had to forgive in her own life. I once heard a pastor say something similar to what I'm about to say. I'll change it a little bit to put it in the context of what I'm speaking about here with continual forgiveness. He said something to this effect. He said, there are no long-lasting relationships without continual forgiveness. There are no long-lasting relationships in your life without continual forgiveness. So here's a question for you. You wanna be married to the same person for a long time? You wanna have long-lasting friendships? You wanna stay at the same church for a long time? You, know, you often hear that the average tenure of a pastor is three years. Could it be because they never got down what we're talking about right now? If you wanna stay beyond year three, you better learn to forgive. Maybe you work here at the seminary. You say, Nick, I, I plan to work here for a very long time. What advice would you give me about working here for a very long time? You better learn to continually forgive. So do it immediately. Do it continually. Let me give you a final thing and I'm done. He said, do it graciously. Do it graciously. Again, we don't live in a culture of graciousness. And I tell you that graciousness does not come naturally. But God can give it to you supernaturally through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Um, you said, Nick, what is graciousness in relation to forgiveness? I love how R.T. writes it in the book. I'll quote him directly here. He says, graciousness is withholding certain facts you know to be true so as to leave your enemy's reputation unscathed. Graciousness is shown by what you don't say, even if what you could say would be true. Can I just read that to you again? Let this sink in. Graciousness is withholding certain facts that you know to be true so as to leave your enemy's reputation unscathed. Graciousness is shown by what you don't say, even if what you could say would be true. Can I add something to what RT says? Graciousness stinks. My own life, I'd, I'd rather be dropping truth bombs there. You know what she did, what he said, what they did, what? Boom, 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 just blowing up everybody, right? But God calls us to be gracious. Not long ago, I was, I was uh, having a moment of discipleship with my son. Uh, we were watching Karate Kid 2 together, okay? Uh, I'm thankful that I grew up in a, in a time when Daniel LaRusso was an American hero. Rocky Balboa was winning the Cold War. We could use a little Rocky Balboa in the world right now, by the way. Um, Y'all remember Mr. Miyagi, the famous trainer of Daniel? Daniel's son is what you could call him. Here's what Mr. Miyagi says at the beginning of Karate Kid 2. I wrote this down. I'm literally, we're watching the movie together. He'd never seen it. I grab my phone. I write this down, knowing what a powerful word this is from Mr. Miyagi. I think this is probably the first and last time Mr. Miyagi has ever been quoted at Midwestern Seminary, but it's a great word here, okay? With this, I close. He said, for the person living with no forgiveness in their heart, living is worse punishment than death. For the person living with no forgiveness in heart, living is worse punishment than death. It's where some of you are in this room today and you don't even realize it. Maybe, maybe by now, by the end of the message, God's opening your eyes to some things just like he did in my own life through this passage of scripture. You're eating up with unforgiveness, with bitterness, resentment, And you would maybe not agree with Mr. Miyagi. You would say, Nick, I don't feel like living is worse punishment than death. But here's how I'd, I'd put a biblical twist on that. And you may not even realize it, but you are so far from living the abundant life that Jesus Christ has provided. And so today, I'm just calling you to an immediate forgiveness. Like today. And I think once you get past this moment of immediate forgiveness, I think you're going to have to move to continual places of forgiveness, continual moments of graciousness in your life when you choose not to talk, you choose not to speak, and you just choose to let the Lord handle what the Lord wants to handle. So we're gonna wrap up maybe in a little bit of a different way, but I just wanna just ask us to bow our head and close our eyes. And I'm gonna ask you to pray that prayer that I encourage you to pray just a few moments ago, I'm gonna give you just a few moments of silence before the Lord. Would you just ask the Lord this simple question? Lord, do I have any lingering bitterness in my life right now?
Did you ask him that? Or is there any resentment going on right now in my life, in my heart? If your life is like my life, there's probably some names that are coming to mind right now, some faces. And you may be reminded all over fresh again what they have done, what they said, how they betrayed you. And I just want to encourage you right now to forgive as Jesus forgave. Continually. Completely. Sacrificially. I think there are immense power in these words. Lord, I choose to forgive and say their name. Father, this is a hard passage. It is a, uh, it's a word that's hard to grasp. It's a word that is hard to put into practice. But Lord, I pray that you would bring freedom from the word. There is always joy. There's always freedom and obedience. And so Lord, today, would you lead your people towards the abundant life and the free life, life of forgiveness. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.